Glory to God. Amen. Glory to God. Good morning. Good yes. morning. We have some, uh, I mean, you guys are all special guests. Yes, we are. Every morning y'all show up, I feel special. <laughs> <laughs> she put up with you. <laughs> it takes the grace of our Lord. I really know the Lord is doing a work in you guys' yeah, lives. Not at all. <laughs> are you joking? Well, we have uh, Annette's son, Alex, from Chicago. And we have my cousin Julie. Hi, Glory Julie. to God. Yeah. Are you are you still living in Missouri? I still live in Missouri. Okay, she's living in Missouri, all the way from Missouri, and that's where my dad's whole side of the family is uh, from. Missouri. Is that accurate? Yes. Okay. Where are you from in Missouri? Um, all over Missouri. <laughs> right now. Uh, right now, I live um. In, in the hills of Missouri, so oh, not really in a, in a town. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, kind of in the middle of the state. Nice. But anyway, it sounded like her and my aunt are thinking about maybe joining us in Branson. Nice. Oh, wow. Wow. Well, we are. You are. Yeah. Hallelujah. Yeah. Yeah. That'll it's be. Like, Mom, don't don't make me plans. Yeah. That's not my other brother. Yep. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's gonna be awesome. So at least we'll we'll have some family in the uh, in the the group there. It'll be good. It's always nice to see faces. I tell Becky people that have the same head face that you have. Yeah, right. You know, that's what God thought, right? When He was making creation, He wanted to see Himself in something. Right. And he, the trees were nice, and the animals were nice, and the water was nice, and the stars were nice, but He couldn't really see His reflection in those things. And then He made man. Right. And when he made man, man was like, I mean, God's supposed to be our mirror. Right. We behold ourselves in his face, just like a child would behold themselves in the face of their parents. But the parents also behold themselves in the face of their children. Right. And so, man, that's why when God saw us, that was it. That was the end of making creation. He rested because he looked at us and he saw himself in our faces. Right. And so, yeah, it's a beautiful thing. When you think how, how great, how great God is and that there's. It takes billions and billions of people to reflect himself. Yeah. 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 All the different uh, attributes and, yeah. and characteristics. Glory to God. What do y'all want to talk about? Well, hold on. Before we start, just so everybody's understanding, Alex and Julie, just so you guys are understanding, that video is on. And that microphone is picking up everything everybody says. So we're not live streaming it because in the morning, sometimes it can divulge into a personal conversation. And we reserve the right for that not to be posted. So if you share something that you decide maybe you don't want to be broadcast all over the world after the fact, just tell me and I'll slice it out. And hopefully all you guys understand that also. Yeah. Right. If you ever share something, we'd rather put our hearts out on the table and get to the nitty gritty than not. So we could post a video. Do you see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. The end of our meeting isn't so we could post a video. Right. Right. The end of the meeting is that we might come together, see God plop his heart out on the table and that do something in us where we feel safe and we plop our heart out on the table because that's when the ministration of life can have its full effect mm -hmm. in us. Amen. Right. Amen. Glory to God. Amen. So what do y'all want to talk about? <laughs> We're dependent on you for that. Well, I always have something, but I want to, you know, I'm always twisting on something. Thomas isn't here to bail all you guys out. <laughs> what about you, Lacey? You want to talk about something? <laughs> you don't have to, but you know. Sometimes I like to put people on the spot. No one likes it when they're put on the spot. 
No. Right? Because you think you, you always think you got to have time to formulate what you want to say, mm-hmm. you know, and, and what you think. And I, I understand that that has an appearance of wisdom. That seems like mm-hmm. it makes sense. Um, I love what what Jesus said to the apostles that they would be brought into the synagogues. Mm-hmm. And it says, don't think about what you'll say. Right. And don't plan what you'll say. For the Holy Spirit will bring the words up inside of you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the time comes. Sure. And if he doesn't, just be quiet. <laughs> 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 yeah. That's, That's got to be a proverb somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> right? Because we, we, we tend to not like, un- we even call it uncomfortable silences. You know, yes. we don't even just call it a silence. We call it an uncomfortable silence. Yes. That's right. What makes it uncomfortable? I know. What does? Our oh. thinking may have to not Yeah, our thinking silent. may have to do something, yeah, right. right. Yeah. yeah, I think sometimes we struggle to sit in, in the quietness with the Lord, right? We struggle to just be there with Him. And I think now more than ever with uh, the technology and the smartphones and everything, you you just, I mean, it's, it's uncanny the way you grab that thing. I mean, like I was saying a couple of weeks ago, Becky and I will be sitting there watching a movie. And next thing I know, I'm on my phone while I'm watching the movie, right? Answering <laughs> that would never happen. To me. Answering questions, <laughs> responding to emails, and it's like your attention span, right? But anyway, um, I've been thinking about um, why God loves us, wow. and and what it is that that makes God love us. Because he is love and he has to. Uh, <laughs> He's commanded to. <laughs> By himself. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Because he's like that. Yeah. Stuff. Right? And he wants to have a relationship with us. He wants to have a relationship with us? Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Has anybody ever thought about that? Yeah. Do you, do you think you can experience somebody's love for you if you don't know why they love you? No. Oh, that's a good question. I think you can. I think you can too. I think Maybe look at kids. Fullness. Kids don't analyze. know why they they, they, they don't know. They why. just know why. That's they just know you do. But they know you do. Yeah. That's the truth. Maybe. I think it probably. Wait, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll put a, I'll put human pictures on it. Can my wife experience my love for her if she doesn't know why I love her? I think to some degree they probably can experience that love. Not to some degree, to a great degree. But what would really enhance that love if they is if they understood why you love them and the depth in which you love them, obviously. Yeah, so good. Then, then keep building on that thought. How would Becky experience my love for her if she didn't know why I loved her? Through your actions. Through my, through my mm-hmm. actions, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. But then isn't that her knowing why I love her? I mean, doesn't that say something about why I love her? Yes, it does. She's say. valuable to me. She's yes. beautiful to me. Yeah. Right? Doesn't that speak a word mm-hmm. about yes. why it is that I love her? Right. The things that I would say or the things that I would do? Mm-hmm. It kind right? of depends. It kind of depends because uh, my own experience is that I lived through a period of time with Denise where 
I, I was doing everything I could to meet her needs based on what she was giving me for feedback. What I didn't know was she was withholding a whole lot of what she needed because she wasn't sure of me and she was not sure that I loved her or that I was around enough or if I didn't supply certain things. And I didn't know that that was going on. And so it was something in the background that was building and getting bigger and more vicious. And it created a big separation in our relationship that I never understood for a long time because I didn't know all that was going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And a lot of it had to do with, you know, she was home with her children every day, all day long. I was offshore working for the oil and gas industry, so I was gone before the sun came up in the morning, and I didn't get back home until it was setting in the evening. So there wasn't a lot of time for us to be together. And so the interaction that we needed to be able to have some continuity between us uh, wasn't happening. Yeah. And you, you can speak up and correct me if I'm wrong, but... Well, no, but I, 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 no, I think that brings it back, though, to the original question. And maybe it, it's difficult to frame the question right. Was the problem really what you were doing, or was the problem that mom didn't think she was lovable? There would have been no end to what you could have done, and none of it would have made her think she was loved because she didn't think she was lovable. Mm -hmm. Well, certainly that was a huge factor. Right, right so then I'll rephrase the question. Can you experience the love of God if you don't think you're lovable? No. Or if you don't think he thinks no. you're lovable? No. That might be a better way to, to phrase the question. Right? If Can you experience the love of God if when you think of him looking at you, you don't think he sees something in you that says you're lovable? If you mm -hmm. see yourself as a wretched worm, unworthy of all things, you're not going to experience the love of God. Unworthy of what? Yeah, right. I've, I've been think. I've just been thinking about that because we yeah. we go back to this whole thing that God doesn't love us because of what <coughs> He sees in us. He loves us because He is love, mm -hmm. or that's His nature, mm -hmm. right? And so we we're basically left with this idea that. Because God's nature is love, therefore, he that's why he loves us. That it has nothing to do with us. Mm -hmm. Right? You guys following that? Yeah. yeah. That explanation? Yeah. yeah. Well, what yeah. are some things that you think might contradict that idea? Because, listen, anything, a deception always carries with it some truth. That's right. A deception never comes void of any truth. It packages it in some things that could be true. So, we have the verse that says, God is love. Right? So God's nature is love. Right? So then we can easily default to, well, that's why God loves us. Because that's just his nature. Right? And, and then we can remove ourselves from the equation and, and not think that there's anything beautiful he sees in us. Right? Then, then our Christianity even starts being peppered with language like, you're not worthy of love. Yeah. Right? You weren't worthy of love. But because of what Jesus did, now God loves you. Right? We, we pepper our 
our relationship with God, never understanding the damage and effects that has on a human heart. I mean, just imagine the effect that would have on a child in a relation and underneath their parents, if that's the kind of thing they were thinking of with their parents or in a, a, a marriage relationship. If one of the spouses was living under that dynamic with the person, right? That they're not worthy of love, but this person's so great, they love me, right? right? W- will your life ever be shaped by the love in that relationship? No, it, it, it won't. So what are the some of the things that would come and, and kind of contradict that, that thought? By the way, when John says God is love, it's not some far-reaching doctrine he's creating. There's a context that he's he's demonstrating what he's demonstrating is if you ever actually saw God accurately and saw what was in God's heart for you accurately you could only ever experience love mm-hmm. you, you can never experience fear that's why he says there's no fear in love right the whole point is is there's no fear in God and if you actually saw into the depths of God's being into the depths of his heart and you saw in there accurately, you could only ever experience love. You could never experience fear. Mm. Right. Does that does that make sense? When the son looked at the father, he never felt afraid. Right. He, he never felt that he only ever felt love. Right. So what are some of the things that you think contradicts that idea? You know, while a while back, I did a, a little post that said to. I don't know whether it was to love is to like or to like is to love. And, you know, you think you got you got to like somebody to actually love them. And uh, I don't know what caused me to have that thought, but I looked up the definition for like. And it was it means to have affection towards someone and to have affection towards someone. You have to see something in that other person that affects you. That's how you have affection for them because you see something in the other person that actually affects you. And so I look up the word agape, which is we, we equate to the love of God. And lo and behold, it means to be affected, to, to have affection, to dote after another. So if you see someone that you see beauty in and, and, and you have this desire in your heart to love them, that is when true love is actually manifested because it, it, it's what you see in the other person that is affecting you toward that. And I mean, that's how I would, you know. Very good, I remember that post. And we, we, we say that in the world because we have a worldly idea of love, really. Yeah. And we actually think it's better to like someone than to love someone. Yeah. And worldly death. Okay, you love it. Do you like me? Right? You love them, but do you like them? We say love like we even don't understand that word love. It's like you have to. Yeah. Right? You don't have a choice but to love them. They're your spouse exactly. or they're your child yeah. or they're your neighbor. Right? Our whole idea of what it means to love has really been shaped negatively by Christianity as if it's a, an order written up on the wall and you have to do it yeah right so that's how you get it right to love your enemy you don't like them you love them right (laughs) you're not really fond of them you're not really affectionate about their life you don't really think they're a treasure you don't really think they're they're beautiful you don't think they're valuable but you know god told you you have to so by golly that's what you're doing that's right it's a commandment right Right. And, and even just that how can that make sense do we think that god 
Do we think that love comes out of God by way of a commandment written on the wall in heaven? Does God see something on the wall that says, thou shalt love, and that's why he loves? No. Is that why Jesus loved his enemy when they were, they were nailing him to a tree? Did he see something written on the wall, and that's what came out of him? No, well, if the, how do, however love works in God, wouldn't it, that be the way it worked in us? Yes. yes. Yeah. Right? So if God's not living by some carnal commandment written on stone, then why would we think that's how we're going to find life come out of us? Right? So does God love the angels the same way he loves us? <laughs> no. What about the... Roaches. Does God love the roaches? <laughs> Heck no. He can't stand them. Barb, will there be roaches Nobody in the new world? No, no. They'll be annihilated. <laughs> I, yeah, I, that or I've also thought that maybe they they were transformed when death entered the earth into something that they weren't. Right. Right? Yeah. And that you're right. Either they'll 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 perish with death because they were brought forth by death. Or whatever it is they were before death entered in, they'll be transformed back into that. Right? Does God love the water as much as he loves us? No. Or or the I mean dogs are nice. I got two dogs. I mean, those dogs are sweet and cute, man. I mean, I love those dogs. I really do. But does God love those dogs as much as he loves us? No. I mean, did God did why not? Because they're not created in his image. Okay, so there's if, if, if God loved us just because it was his nature and that's what brought forth the love he had in his heart for us, then wouldn't he love us the same as everything else? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Okay, so that's one of the things that causes a contradiction in the idea that God just loves us because it's his nature, right? right? And it has nothing to do with what he sees in us. Because if it had nothing to do with what he sees in us, he would love everything else just as much as he loves us. Sure. Hebrews comes and says that at no point did God ever call the angel's son. Right. Mm -hmm. Jesus didn't come as an angel. Right. No. He didn't come to redeem the angels that had fallen. No. Why not? Because he didn't feel the same affection in his heart for the angels as he did for us. Did he? I mean, this is a foolish example because it's not born from the love of God. It's just a carnal example. But, I mean, Jay and Cindy, you guys love me. I know you love me. But if we're being honest, do you love me the same way you love Sarah and Stacy? No. <laughs> Why not? Don't forget Stephanie. Stephanie, I, was, I knew it was another F. I was like, why is it escaping me? It's because she's living in Utah. That's, that's why. That's right. You guys don't love her, love me the same that you love them. No. Why not? They, because they came from our union. Right. right. They came forth from you. Yeah. Right. Jesus even broke that thing open when he talked about the birds of the air. He said, are you not much better than they? Mm -hmm. Aren't you not much more valuable than the birds yeah. of the air or the lilies? But yet he takes care of them. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. right. yeah. To think of God just loving us just because he's love makes it so impersonal. Yeah. It just kind of yeah. goes back to the, he can't look at me except through the Jesus filter. You know, he can only look at me because of what Jesus did now. He can't really see me. You know, so that's that's when that when when 
that was being taught and I was under that and it was like he can't look at me because I have so much sin and all my bad things and that's why Jesus came you know you know it's and, curious too and all when, of that. when you when you think when you're thinking like that you view everybody else that way too right true <laughs> and I just knew there was something yeah. wrong with that though because I was like yeah. that, then he doesn't see me then he doesn't right. know me and how can I know him that's it right there's no reciprocity possible right if you believe that right so until I realized he was my father mm -hmm. and I'm his daughter he calls me his daughter I am from him I am of him it's just like the way mm -hmm. I love my son mm -hmm. You know, he's bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. He's, I see myself in him, and, you know, and vice versa. It's just, he's part of me. Yeah. You know, so I'm, nice. we have to see it in the, I think it like what Bertie says, the family dynamic almost, you know, that we are his sons and daughters. Yeah. Last night I was watching that movie. Some girls got together and watched that movie, the Abraham story about his only son. Did anybody see that by any chance? Uh -uh. It's about Abraham and Isaac. A lot of um, leeway in the movie, but the thing that, <laughs> you don't say. The thing that um, struck me right at the beginning is when Abraham has his connection with God at first, and what the first thing they said was, "When I saw his face, I realized my unworthiness." My unworthiness. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And that was the premise of the whole movie. So at the oh. end of it, they were talking about it, and they all loved it, you know. And there were parts that were, you know, pretty good, but um, too much. And that I just had to bring that up. I said, when God saw Abraham, He loved him. He saw him as the treasure in the field. Yeah. And that right. He would give anything, and that's how He sees all of us. And as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So if we think we're unworthy like that. That's where we're going to live. You know, we can't receive that love from him, just like you're saying. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So then does that speak to the way we define love in the world? Right? What What would love look like before Adam brought death into the world? And what would love look like after he brought death into the world to humans? Did that change the way we thought about things once sure. death came into the earth? Yes. yes. And how we define what makes someone lovable? Yeah. Yes. Right? Did we maybe start judging whether someone was lovable by the carnal mind? Yeah. Mm -hmm. By the knowledge of good and evil? Yeah, yeah. Yes. By Absolutely. whether what we saw in them we determined <clears throat> to be good or whether we determined it to be evil. Mm -hmm. And then we d judged love that way. Yeah. Which is why humans would say today we're not worthy of God's love. Yep. Because they'd be judging whether or not they were lovable by what they saw in themselves mm -hmm. and what they saw coming out of them yes. or the things they said or the things they did. Yeah. Is that how God would have judged it? No. Not the no. way God would judge it. No. no, but carnal man. Carnal man. Yeah. So even the body of Christ, 2,000 years after Jesus coming and showing us, when he looked like a worm full of, the, full of the, the fullness of sin and death on the cross, stripped naked to the point he couldn't even look like a human, that's how much sin and death had manifested in his body. God loved him. Yes. So much. That God showed up when nobody else wanted him and everybody else rejected him. God showed up and claimed him as his own yeah. and raised him up out of the grave and sat him at the right hand, at his right hand in his house. Yeah. The place of honor and esteem is one of the reasons why he did that to show us <clears throat> yes. how to judge whether or not we're worthy of love. Yes. And now he doesn't think of what makes us lovable. 
So did God determine whether or not we were lovable before we did anything? Yes. 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 So then how could anything we do now make us unlovable? It can't. It can. Someone needs to tell the church. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we don't realize. We didn't that, get that. We don't realize that we sit with contradictions, <laughs> which makes it really difficult to find stability yes. in our lives. On one hand, we all would agree intellectually God loves us. Yes, I know God. And the second somebody says, I know God loves me. You know they don't know. <laughs> right? Because mm -hmm. they, they're counting it as a common thing. Tell me something powerful. Right. Tell me about how the angels had babies with the humans and how they're going to come back like a cyclops one day. Right? And they're going to tell us that they're our father. Luke, I'm your father. <laughs> <laughs> tell us something like that because that's much more exciting to the mind yes. and the intellect. Another thing when it comes to carnal love that can be so deceptive is you transpose that over into God. And the thing, carnal love is very, uh, it's like a utility. It's like, I love you if I can use you to help preserve my life. Yes. And if I see you as taking life away from me, I'll hate you. Yeah. And so you, you wind up in this life of using people. Well, we've transposed that over to God. I mean, I come up through a sect where that was the thing. Everybody wanted to be used by God. Yeah. Ooh. There's even a song about it. Yeah. Use me, Lord. Use even me. That's like the highest call, right? To be used by God. You don't find that anywhere in the scriptures, just so you know. We, we don't realize how much of our, our theology and our thoughts about God have been right. born from the traditions of man yes. and not what's from actually there. Matt, why don't you share with everybody what God told you that day? When you were busy oh, along man. the line. Is... The only time that I can ever say that I think I heard the audible voice of God. And I had gone through this season because I was in that mess, right? And I was going through this season of praying and fasting. Oh, God, please use me. Please use me. And I remember it like it was yesterday. It was a Saturday morning after Thanksgiving, the year 2009, 5 o'clock in the morning. I sat straight up in the bed, and I heard these words, and it was like it was coming from everywhere at the same time. And he said, I'm not interested in using you at all. That's what you do. You use people, and I don't operate that way. Oh. 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 Goosebumps. That Man. changed my life right there. Wow. <laughs> and I've shared that with some people. They're like, oh, God would never say that. That sounds so harsh. Well, you got to understand my relationship with God. You know, and... It, but the thing that was amazing and really softened it up because when I first heard that, I'm, I mean, I just got took to the woodshed, right? <laughs> and then as I'm sitting there contemplating what I just heard, it don't, I'm like, wait a minute, I just heard God. <laughs> and he knew that I would come to that realization and he knew that would make it all better. <laughs> Who cares what the tone sounded like? God, yeah. just talk to me. <laughs> I can't feel my legs. <laughs> But you, 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 you see, people confuse tone, Yeah. right? If God's jealous over your life, then he's going to be extremely zealous and passionate about tearing down and coming against anything yeah. that you're looking to to find evidence that you're valuable that isn't in him having laid down his life for you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And when we get into this use me thing, it becomes like a metric where we try to judge how valuable people are. 
right? Well, certainly the Apostle Paul, look how much God loved him. Look how much he used him. Look how pleasing Paul was to God. As if Paul was more pleasing to somebody who never ministered to anyone. As if Paul was more pleasing to God than Mary Magdalene or the prostitute out on the street or the woman caught in the act of adultery, right? And so, of course, he would be, he wouldn't be benign, right? He wouldn't be like, no, he would come to take vengeance, yeah. not on you, but he would come to take vengeance on that way of thinking because that way of thinking would be in the way of you connecting with how valuable you are to God and the love he has for you and how he's busy wanting to serve you with life. The, the lesser is always blessed by the greater. It was Jesus that washed the disciples' feet, and now you're busy wanting him to use you, right? And he's more worried about you experiencing his love than, than anything else. Right? right? So the, we, we have this contradiction, the way we've taught about the love of God. On one hand, we say God loves us, and then on the other hand, we say we're not worthy of his love. And we think that sounds super spiritual. We even sing songs about how unworthy we are. We come together and wallow in our unworthiness. We don't deserve. Well, you can never earn love by your works with God anyway, so how could your bad works now make you unlovable? It's a faulty premise. If your bad works can make you unlovable, then that means you could earn love by your good works. Yet God decided before Jacob or Esau had ever done anything. And God decided that Adam was worthy of his love before Adam did anything. And God decided that Jesus was worthy of his love before Jesus' ministry even started. How do we know? Because before Jesus even resisted the temptation from the devil, the clouds opened and God said to Jesus, You are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And he hadn't done anything yet. And so we sit with these contradictions in our lives, and we don't understand the turmoil they cause in our heart. Imagine you're like the cartoon character with the flower picking the petals. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. How do you think that works out inside of you if that's what you're busy with with God? It doesn't work out well inside of you. And it impacts the way we think about everything. Right? So we don't judge whether or not God loves us by our works. And that's where it's gotten corrupted. Because we can look and see, look what Adam did. And then we can look at our own selves and see in our own selves that, man, we've done some things. Right? Right? And then we act like we're the father of the death that came out of us. We don't read what Paul said about being taken captive by sin. How sin got it right to come and take us captive. We were like the Hebrews, and Pharaoh was our slave master. Sin was our slave master, and sin was like Pharaoh trying to get us to build ourselves a good life, trying to get us to produce peace and love and joy. And we were taken captive by sin, trying to produce that which was good, when we never had the ability to produce that which was good to begin with. And because we were doing that, the fruit of death came out of us. And the moment the fruit of death came out of us, that's when the serpent came and said, See, are you really the children of God? Then why is this death coming out of you? And now we're not lovable. Do you think God didn't think the Hebrews were lovable when they were enslaved? He did. He came and provided a lamb, didn't he? And what was that lamb testifying of? God coming and providing himself as a lamb. For who? Us. Why? Because we were enslaved. To what? Sin and death. Right. And that sin was getting it right to take us captive to laboring and toiling to try to produce life. And that's how it got it right to produce its fruit in us. And then it used the fruit that it brought forth in us to condemn us. Right? And then not just condemn us, but convince us that God was also condemning us. 
to convince us that we're not lovable, that we're not loved by God. I promise you the only, the, the, the most powerful thing in Jesus's life is he knew nothing could separate him from the love of the Father. Mm -hmm. And in fact, the Bible says he abided in the Father's commandment, and then he describes that commandment as abiding in the Father's love for him. Right? Yeah. So the devil wants to do everything he can to convince you you're not lovable. And do you know what he uses to convince you you're not lovable? The fruit he brings forth in your life when he deceives you into trying to gather life to yourself. When he manipulates your design against you because he knows you have a longing in your heart for life. And he knows it's going to torment you if you see yourself as not having life. And he knows he can poke at that and ride that to try to get you to take into your own hands having life. Yeah. Right? Yes. And so the idea that God just loves us because that's his nature is born from a, I like what Annette says, first of all, it's born from a lack of intimacy with God. You don't really know God the person, you, you, you know a bunch of theology. Mm -hmm. Technically, theology is supposed to be the study of God the person, but it hasn't become that. It's the study of man's thoughts, right? You, you'll go to seminary and you'll get a, a big, thick book called Systematic Theology, and you'll learn all about what Calvin thought about doctrine, yeah. right? You're not learning about God, you're learning about Calvin and what Calvin thought. I just gotta tell everybody, John Calvin, God bless his soul. God rest his He's not one of the apostles. He didn't write any of the New Testament. And his thoughts about the New Testament are not what the church should be building their foundation on. It says the foundation that the church is built on is the doctrine of the apostles and the prophets. Not John Calvin's thoughts about the, the apostles and the prophets. Because John, John Calvin would come and describe man as a worm and unworthy and unlovable to God. Yes. That's the poison of ass. Yes. That's the message of the serpent. Right? Mm -hmm. Now we can understand how humans that are in a world with death and humans that can see sometimes they bear the fruit of death. We can understand how those things can convince us we're unlovable, but we see the gospel comes to uproot that very thought. Right. And this is what David would come and say when he's looking at all of creation and he's looking over the waterfalls and the green grass and the, the trees and the stars and the moon and the sun and he's thinking of all that, but he sees something about God that God's mind is filled full with him and not all these things. Who is man that you are mindful of him and that you visitest him? Do you know what that word visitist means? It means that you miss them when they're not there. That you find a yearning in your heart for them when they're not in the house. Kind of like the father of the prodigal son was yearning for the return of the son when the son was off in the pig slot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You think that father thought that the son was lovable even when he was in the pig slot? Yes. yes. We know that he was. Well, isn't that supposed to be a picture of Abba? I mean, when the sun came on the horizon, did the father, like, call to the people and say, go clean him up before we let him on the property? <laughs> I mean, he smells like pigs. He kissed his neck. He's filthy. He no, he neck. fell on his neck right there, didn't he, Cindy? Yeah. So who is man that you are mindful of them, right? Well, it's normal to have that question, but we want to let that question be answered by the word that was made flesh in Jesus. You want to know who man is to God? You want to know who you are to God? You're supposed to find the testimony of who you are to God in the face of Jesus Christ. Because that's God trying to tell you who you are to him. That's why Jesus prayed in John 17 that we would know that he loves us the same way he loves Jesus. You see how in Jesus he declared his love for Jesus before Jesus did anything? Before he performed one miracle, before he resisted any temptation, he was told he was loved. Before Adam could do anything, right or wrong, it says God barocked Adam. He got down on one knee and said to Adam, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The same thing. The same thing. 
What about Abraham? When God found Abraham and told Abraham that he would be the father of many nations, was Abraham looking pretty? No, he was dead. In fact, Abraham twice tried to sell his wife over into the heathens to protect his own self. Does that sound like a righteous dude? Not according to our standards. You can't get away with that in today's world. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I don't think that's going to fly with Becky. I mean, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be doing that anyway because something on the inside would just be like, I'd rather die than let her be taken off. Yeah. Right? But do you see the way our thinking has gotten completely corrupted about yeah. that? And it, it seeps into every area of our life. Amen. Whether or not we're pleasing to God. What is it that pleases God? If we read our Bible every day, pray every day, give 10%, <laughs> serve, go on missions, trips, not. <laughs> that's that's kind of what we've been taught. Yeah. Yeah. No, it is what we've been taught. That's what we've been taught. So what is it that makes God, do, do you realize that when we describe that, we never take what we believe to the end. Mm -hmm. And we allow things that have an appearance of wisdom to swim around, right? Because that sounds... It sounds pretty good. Hmm? You know, it doesn't sound so bad. We're in a world that things completely yeah. corrupt, and that kind of lines up with the world. Right. We never take it to its end, though, mm -hmm. to see what would that kind of a thought actually say about God. Yeah. Do you know what that says about God, if that's what pleases God? That he's selfish. He's needy. And he's self-centered. Yeah. Yeah. And he's wanting something from you, not wanting to give you something. Right. Right. Do, you, do you see what that says about God? Mm -hmm. It even has a subconscious effect on the heart where your whole life will be born from that and you might not even realize it. Yeah. Right? right? And now your whole thoughts of God become shaped by the pagan gods in the world like Zeus. Right? And now you're, you're more in, engaged with a God that looks like the gods in Clash of the Titans. Yes. That use you. <laughs> right? Yeah. So what is it that pleases God then? I mean, what is it that makes God happy when God sees me right here? That we are his sons and daughters. That's why he loves us. Yes. But what is it that would please him as a child? Relationship. Relationship. We give him life. Yeah. Well, he said, this is my son in whom I am well, well pleased. pleased. And what was happening when that? The spirit was coming. And what's him. the spirit called? Holy, Holy spirit. spirit. The spirit of? Life. 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 The spirit of life. Yeah. Faith. The spirit of life, faith. So why would faith please God? These are all great answers. It is faith that pleases God, but does faith please God? Because God gives us an order, and since we perform it, now he's pleased? No. Right? Is, is, it, is it like a general private relationship? No. So we have the same mind as him and understand that relationship that there's a back and forth. That he that he can enjoy us, and he knows that we're enjoying him, him back. Yeah, that would that would make him very happy. Yeah. And what is when we allow him to share serve us. or his life, he's sharing it with us, and we're with him. We're one with him. Yeah, sharing that together. we're partaking okay. with him and in his life. Yes, yes. and yeah. it produces what you just described, right? Yeah. So our whole idea of what pleases God has got to be born from what was God's original intent for man. For him to give life. For him to give life to us. So that pleases him. That's what Jesus would say. It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what would make him happy? Is for if you to receive it. For you to receive the kingdom. Right. Well, how do you receive again? It's, realize it's free. You realize it. it's free. Yeah. Paul come and said, you make the promise void when you think you can work to earn it. Right. 
So, do you see the two different ways of thinking? What makes God happy can never be interpreted from a selfish perspective, as if he's trying to derive something from you for himself. And so what makes God happy, well, we could fill out the picture by this. What would make God upset? If you don't receive the kingdom. If you don't, and why would that make him upset? Because he wants you in his kingdom. Yeah, he wants you in his kingdom. To use scriptural language, it says God takes no pleasure in the destruction of the wicked. Okay, so do you see what it says there? You know what makes God unhappy? For people to be destroyed. You know why it makes them unhappy for people to be destroyed? Because he never created them for the intent that they would ever die. Yeah. He created them that they would partake with him in his life, that they could think the same things he thinks, feel the same things he feels, and then walk with him in all eternity in the earth. And he could have someone that he could spend all his days loving with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his strength. I didn't ask Becky to marry me because I was thinking of all the things she could do for me. That's not why I asked Becky to marry me. I promise you, I wasn't at home writing up on the chalkboard. Well, Becky can do this real good. She does that real good. She does this real good. Well, let's see. What does my ex-girlfriend do real good? <laughs> when I asked Becky to marry me, it was because I thought that I want to spend all my days loving her. Right. Yeah. It wasn't because she can make really good pot of spaghetti? It, I didn't even know she could make the spaghetti. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even know anything about that. That was just a benefit. Now, do you, in my life with Becky, so, so do you see how I didn't, marry, I didn't ask her to marry me because of what I could gain from her. Right. Yeah. I asked her to marry me because I wanted to give her something. Mm -hmm. I wanted to pour myself out for her. Now, from the yeah. perspective of Becky and me, what would please me in my relationship with Becky? If, if she, she allows you to love her the way you want her to. If she receives my love. Yes. You know what makes me real happy? When I look at Becky and I see that she knows she's loved. Mm -hmm. Right. That makes me real happy. Do you know what frustrates me? It makes me mm -hmm. upset. If Becky is confused about whether or not I love her. Right. That's the dynamic you can describe between men and women. I'll just solve your whole marriage problem right now. Yeah. Ladies, you want to know what your husband wants? He wants you to be persuaded that he loves you, right? You know what upsets your husband? When you're confused about whether or not he loves you, right? That's when he becomes frustrated. Do you know why? Because he thinks he's spinning on his wheels trying to convince you that he loves you. And then when you don't feel loved, he feels like he's a bad husband. And then it starts this wicked cycle, right? So what is it that pleases God? It pleases God that you would live and not die. Yes. The scripture says that God takes no pleasure in the destruction of the wicked. It says in the, in the letter to the Hebrews, I think it's the end of chapter 10, it says, but if any man should turn back from God, his soul will take no, no pleasure, pleasure in that thing. Why would God's soul take no pleasure in someone turning away from him? Because he's the only one that has life. And if they turn away from them, they're going to die. And he takes no pleasure in them dying. Okay, right? And this even goes with the, what the word righteous means. We think the word righteous means that God likes us. And if we're not righteous, he doesn't like us. But the word righteous means to be in the state you were created to be in. Right. Do you know the state you were created to be in? Eternal. 
Eternal. You were created to have an eternal life. You were created to have the incorruptible seed of God's life dwelling in you. So if you have the life of God dwelling in you, because you believe the testimony he gave in Jesus, which is that he came and laid down his own life for you, he shed his own blood to cleanse you or perfect you or divorce your life from the death that's in the world, and so that he could give you his life. If you believe that testimony and you called upon his name and you received the life he come to give you as a gift, then you're righteous because you're in a state of life. You're not in a state of death. And that would be pleasing to God because it bothers him if you're dying. Yes. Right? If you got murder and envy and hatred and gossiping and backbiting coming out of you, does that make God happy? No. 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 But it's not... He's not unhappy because he doesn't like you because of what you're doing. He's unhappy because he sees all those things are destroying your life. And it bothers him for your life to be destroyed. And it bothers him that destruction would come out of your life. Right. That's why. Do you see that changes everything? Yes. See, on one hand, I could look at this fruit. If I got murder and envy and gossip and backbiting coming out of me, and I could look at this fruit and I could feel tormented because I could say, this is not the fruit of your life. And I could know that it, it doesn't make God happy to see this fruit coming out of me. But because I don't think he's not happy with me, the person, and I see he's not happy with me dying at the hands of the fruit of death, you know what? I come running to him in the day that I need life instead of cowering away from him unto destruction. Yes. Right? That's why faith pleases God. And in fact, it's in the same context. The end of Hebrews chapter 10, it goes into chapter 11. It tells you what doesn't please God. It doesn't please God for people to cower away from him unto destruction. Adam, what did he do? He ran and hid from God. That wasn't pleasing to God. Why? Because God didn't want Adam to be filled with fear and torment and laboring and toiling. God feels hurt when you're filled with fear. It bothers him. It bothers him when you think you're separated from what you need for life. Mm -hmm. It bothers him when you think you're separated from his love. And it's not a selfishness. It's not like, well, what's wrong with them? Don't they know? Don't they see? Why won't they just believe? No, it's from the perspective of he wants you to experience his life. Yes. And it hurts him for you. Listen, man, when I'm ministering to somebody and they're struggling and they're tormented, I don't walk away feeling bad because I'm angry that they just won't get it. But I do walk away many times feeling burdened because it hurts me to see them suffering. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. please me to see them suffering. I don't walk away feeling happy because I'm feeling their suffering. Right? And you know what makes me very happy? The only joy of ministry is that you could minister and someone could be delivered from what's hurting them and they could find life manifested. Amen. Right? And that's the joy of ministering. It's not that you could get some, some honor or some name for yourself or build some building or build some ministry. The joy is you could see somebody's life delivered from torment. That's the same thing with God. Right? You want, you want to hear an example of that? So, in Isaiah... Uh, Isaiah sees this vision the, the year King Uzziah died. And it was a vision of the Lord coming to him and his robe filled the temple and the temple post shook, shook and everything. And it was just this awesome sight, God coming and revealing himself to Isaiah. And what was Isaiah's response? He says, and I said, woe is me, I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips, 
and I dwell in the midst of a people with unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphims uh, came unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from, with tongs from the altar. And he laid it upon my lips and said, Lo, this has touched thy lips, and thy iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. So he viewed himself before God as unworthy. Mm -hmm. But God, in, instead of saying, you know, thank you for finally understanding this. How unworthy you are. Now I see you worthy. No, he saw the worthiness in Isaiah. And he took his own glory and put it to his lips. Yeah. And then it's kind of interesting. He says, listen, who am I going to, who is going to go to tell the world about my love for them apart from their works? And after that event, Isaiah said, here I am, here I am. Lord, send, send me. Here I am. After, yeah, his lips have been clean and now he can yes. tell them. After the glory of God revealed was revealed to him mm -hmm. despite his sin. Right. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. It goes on to talk about his misperception. Right. Isaiah goes on to talk about where is the place where God calls home. Right? The heaven is his throne, the earth is his footstool, but where is the place where God finds his rest? And he describes it as us. Right. Um yeah, so just the, these things about being pleasing to God. Right. Right? So it doesn't please God for you to cower away from him. When you're in the presence of God, you ain't doing things for him. He's done something for you, right? So he's not displeased because you're not there to clean up the house. He doesn't displease God for you to cower away from him because he's thinking, who's going to vacuum the floor? <laughs> who's going to prepare the table? Who's going to serve us with bread and wine? That's why, not why. In fact, the psalmist says that God prepares the table. Yeah. You prepare a table. God, Jesus talking about God providing the garments mm -hmm. in the whole ceremony and you just showed up. So it, please, it doesn't please God when you cower away from him. The reason why it doesn't please him is because life is found in his presence. And if you cower away from him you're condemning yourself to death and then the author of Hebrews goes on to say faith pleases God and faith doesn't please God because he gives you an order to perform and then you perform it the reason faith pleases God is because faith shows you what Isaiah saw yes right yes that in the presence of God is a reward that the only thing God has to give me is his life that God actually thinks well of me. He speaks well of me. And he actually finds something in his heart where he thinks I'm worthy to be loved. And he wants to serve me with his life. And that faith shows you that it brings you to God. Right? And that makes God very happy because he can't clothe you in his life unless you come to him. Unless you call upon his name. And that's what makes God happy. Right? It makes God happy for you to receive his life. Yes. Right? right? So if you've received his life, which is what happened when he poured out the Holy Spirit on all flesh, the same thing as the, the dove descending, right? The same thing, the same voice can be heard from heaven. You are my beloved children in whom I'm well pleased. Yeah. When you grab a hold of that word, when you grab a hold of that life, that makes God happy. Yeah. Right? You have fulfilled your purpose in life. You have Contrary to what Rick Warren tells us <laughs> in, the carnal, in the carnal world, that's our purpose in life. That's right. To do that. That's, yeah, right. that's when you want to 
shout it out to the whole world. Like Isaiah. Not, yeah, that's not, right. Not yeah. because of some great commission yeah. or some commandment, but you can't help but tell others because it's really good news. That's right. Yeah, you're beside yourself. Like Paul would say, if we're beside ourselves, we're beside ourselves with the knowledge of the love of God. Amen. And the fact that we have this treasure in earth and vessels. What, I, what I'm doing here in the ministry, that's not my purpose. No. Not. That's not my purpose. That's not my purpose. That's what I'm passionate about because of what Cindy just described. Right. Right? And outside, out, out of you finding your purpose and being loved by God, you could find the love of God pouring out of you. And you could find that love looking like a lot of different things. Right? But don't let the carnal mind come and confuse you and make you think that which love produces out of you is your purpose. Right? right? Big difference. Amen. Big difference. Oh, yeah. Glory to God. You guys see the, the two differences between being what makes mm -hmm. someone pleasing yes. and how the carnal mind would make it about what you do or don't do, yeah. where God would make it about do you have his life or do you not have his life? Yes. Mm -hmm. Right? So you could live all your days knowing you are pleasing to him if you have his life. And if you're wondering, how can I know if I have his life? He who has the son has life. That's right. Right? That's the testimony God's given. The world will try to convince you through various different methods and various different uh, evidences that you don't have life. And it will show you things that look like they're void of life, right? That's why God sealed you with the Holy Spirit, right? He got his Holy Spirit inside of you. You're the temple of the living God. And so that's how you know that God is pleased, right? That you have received his life, right? Right. Amen. And that's how you know you're worthy of love, Amen. right? Because he laid down his life for you when? When you were godly? No. While we were yet sinners. While that that doesn't that's not a negative thing to God. God doesn't look at sinners and think, oh, they're disgusting. That's what humans think. Yeah. A sinner to God is just someone who's dead. It's someone who's not partaking in the life he intended for them to partake of. They've been taken right. captive. They've been taken captive. Right. And he laid down his life for us while we were all dead. Yeah. Thus declaring to us that our worthiness is not based on the state we're in. Right? right? Yeah. You see, does that while make sense? We were yes. yet in, in, while we were yet in our, <clears throat> our own blood, yeah. he loved us. That's right. Yeah. yeah. He walked by them in their blood and he said to himself, behold, it's the time of love. Right. Yeah. That's what it says in Ezekiel. Mm -hmm. Right? That's what she meant. Yeah. yeah no, know. I know. Just, for the video, I'm just quoting the verse. And, and to be in your own yeah. blood in the yeah. scriptures means to be dead in sin. Right? right? Yes. You're, you're dead in sin. When God, God walked by us and we were dead in our sin, his heart said, behold, it's the time of love. And then he yes. spread his skirt over us. That's why the Jewish people have what's called the chupa at a wedding where they spread the skirt over the people. It was a sign that the husband was now going to decorate the woman with his life. So when God saw us dead in our sin, which means we were naked, he didn't despise us because he always intended that he would decorate us with his life. So he came to us and began telling us, I will spread my skirt over you. I promise you, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. That's what he says to Abraham. I am your shield and your buckler. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. Right? Yes. Yeah. Yep. That's what he said. Glory to God. Glory Amen. to God. 